I wish you could just shut your big yapper. Now it's time for a long walk to Cleveland with Rudy Povich. Good luck finding a DJ who can move and shake like this. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and every morning live on Instagram. That shit sounds pretty good on blow, mixed with tequila and wine. On an empty stomach. Thank you so much for joining me on a long walk to Cleveland. Find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and every single day at 9.45 a.m. We take a short walk to Cleveland on Instagram. We just do it live at Rudy underscore Povich. And then you can uh, watch the video of this podcast on YouTube. That happens just around 3 p.m. every single Wednesday afternoon. A uh, couple of things. First off, uh, headline each show, I'm going to be in Austin, Minnesota. That is April 22nd. I uh, don't have a lot of details on it yet, but uh, we'll get you some more as uh, as the days go on. But uh, the guys who put this show on are part of like the Rochester, Minnesota comedy scene, and I was looking at the photos from the last one that they did, and this place is like gangbusters. So really looking forward to that show. I uh, got a couple of shows in February, uh, Super Bowl weekend, the 11th and 12th. I'll be at Gutty's Comedy Club. Also, the last weekend of the month, I believe it's the 25th, 26th of February. Uh, I'll be back at Gutty's. So uh, if you get a chance, come on out. You know, check it out. We're going to be down at uh, Crane Bar, too, on February 12th. That's Saturday. I'm doing a, a charity event with my guy, Lahiru. Uh, more information on that, you can find it on my Instagram or at Facebook, just at Rudy underscore Povich. Today on the show. Oh, so uh, this past weekend, I happened to have a uh, opportunity to feature for a very funny guy. Just had a dry bar comedy special drop. Hundreds of thousands of views this thing has got. Plus, he's a brand new dad. He's a very funny guy. We chatted about church and clean comedy and what it's like to dabble in between clean comedy and dirty comedy. Also trying to be a dad and traveling and then trying to keep it all together at home while still maintaining somewhat of relationships. Obviously, he's a better human being than I because he has a woman in his life that has decided to, you know, make a house with him. I was walking around my place the other day going, Jesus Christ, this place could use a woman's touch. Gee. Anyway, uh, very funny, brand new dad, got a dry bar comedy special and a brand new special going to be coming out here in the springtime. Please, let's all take a long walk to Cleveland with the very funny Ricky Glore. That's funny because I wanted to ask you about that because there's a joke you did last night. And you stole of mine. And no, I've been no, no. I, yeah, oh, that's why. I, that's why we're here today. Can't wait. I'm totally yeah. gonna call you out. No, yeah. uh, there was a joke you did last night. I'm like, oh, that is a clean version of a dirty joke. Oh, which one? I can't remember I, though. Okay. I don't remember what it was because you said it, and I and there's a joke that I do as well. That is, and I didn't do it last night. I'll probably do it tonight. And it's a joke about people who give hugs and how they just foist hugs on you. Yeah. And then I, you can't walk up to somebody and then do whatever you want to do if you got a thing. And that's usually, funny. and usually, you know, I got to keep my voice down because we're at Gutties and that's a clean club for anybody who doesn't know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I usually go, I'm a titty fucker. <laughs> 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 this is what I, this is how I say hello. It's, it's what I say. It's my thing. It's totally my thing. But like dog sniff butts. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That's a really good. That's a. It's such a good rolling premise of, especially in the time we're in right now, of questioning and like looking back. Like, we're only what two years from handshaking and blowing Christmas candles. Or Christmas candles. <laughs> birthday candles. Gosh, I wish those Christmas candles you. Blew uh, that would be great. Like, hey, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Um, birthday candles out and like it seems so weird that we never question like blowing 
like sitting around a cake and just all spitting yeah, on it. Yeah, spitting on it. Literally, yeah. not yeah. a problem. Yeah, there's a viral yeah, video yeah. of like from years ago. It was on like literal, America's fu- literal viral video. Yeah, from back then the yeah. day when actually we had to watch videos on actual videotapes, you yeah. know. But uh, it was on America's Funniest Home Videos. Little gal spat out her birthday candles. We completely cut it up and served it to the family yeah. it wasn't a big deal yeah, yeah nobody cared well like it's- questioning handshakes like i'm not an agoraphobe or anything but i i was like yeah there's no reason to shake someone's hand i do it still yeah i'm, I'm just still in the in the habit yeah of doing it but i'm like yeah there's no reason to physically skin on skin a stranger that you never met before yeah. it does feel weird yeah like uh, i think um somebody had, when they put it like this they were like your sweaty mitt grabs my sweaty <laughs> mitt and i'm like okay i'm out yeah I'm out. I fist bump every time, and I. I want to. I really want to know what the the joke was. You said it's a dirty version. I want to know if it was an improv or if it was a. Um, no, it was a bit. It, I, I felt like you, it, it was. A, it, like, I, that was a definitely bit. a bit. Yeah. No, I felt like when you said it, I'm like, oh, I bet he does a different version of that joke somewhere else. The only well, the only thing that I've changed, um, and I did it two weeks ago when I recorded my second album at the Gutties in Indianapolis, was uh, my. It's called Pinata which is my daughter's second birthday and getting the Elmo pinata. Mm-hmm. I close it out uh, usually by saying um, my daughter can't speak English, but what I'm pretty sure she was yelling through her tears was you sick bastards. <laughs> oh, and I think that's what it was. I said, you, you sick said, freaks. Six freaks. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Oh, that's exactly what I was. usually say. You sick. Fuck. Yeah. That's exactly uh, what I thought you said. Yeah. Yep. That's funny, man. Yeah. But I didn't even consciously think uh, two, two weeks ago about bastard being a curse word. And then uh, Glenn Tickle, another comedian um, who produced my first album and is a great comedian of his own, Drybar. And Tickle is his real last name. That's not a stage name. Sure. Um, we were talking about the the contract that we signed for Gutties about the profanity. And if mm-hmm. profanity is used, that is their willingness to um, maybe not pay you. Sure. Your, yeah. your full amount. Absolutely. And it's like, great. Yep. I am happy to do that. Last night after the show, I asked Steve, I'm like, was there anything questionable that I did that you, you wouldn't? like to have tomorrow at tomorrow night's show and he's like no no he's like you you skirted some lines he's like you got real close to some uh, things yeah, but i was yeah. like i'm like i'm happy to respect if there's anything you don't want me to say it's your club it's your rules but yeah, yeah. absolutely in fact I, when i left here last night i went and did another mic and it was with all comics in town that i'd say probably about 80 percent of the people on the show last night won't come to this club because yeah. they don't want to work clean and i and when this place first opened i told them i'm like if you guys don't want the money, I'll take it. Yeah. I'll absolutely 1,000% Job. take your spot every single time. Job audience. Be- well, yeah. like doing Dry Bar, which a lot of the uh, comedians that come through the gutties have done that. The, the the crowd, I like a crowd that has had a couple of drinks and is loose and is ready to have some fun. There comes some pretension of, the, of that, of they show up to a club. And I've never understand the mentality of this audience member where they cross their arms and like, make me laugh. Yeah. It's like, dude, you paid $5. Get your yeah. $5 worth, you're, you know? You're coming for fun. Loosen up a little bit. If you don't like someone, wait 10 minutes. It'll probably be another person on. Absolutely. But with like dry bar and the great thing about gutties that doesn't serve alcohol and it is predicated on clean comedy is people, I think, genuinely come to these shows that are like, I'm here to have a great time. There's nothing else in my mind of I'm bringing a date. I want to tie some on yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So I think that is one nice difference from a, another comedy club. Yeah. It's all mostly married people. Yeah. Or churchgoers. Yeah. And it's people that aren't going to heckle. Yep. And you can do. And they're so forgiving. They're so forgiving. Well, it's, I started. Uh, I got a job at a Funny Bone Comedy Club in Newport, Kentucky, solely because I was. 18 
and they used to have 18 and up shows first show Friday and first show Saturday and they got rid of that mm-hmm. but they then allowed you could be a server there if you were 18 in a day in Kentucky you could serve oh, alcohol okay, yeah. but so I wasn't able to go see shows anymore and so I was like all right, I'll see if I can get a job being a server here so I can see all the shows Absolutely. for free yeah. and make some money, which awesome money, like a comedy club, yeah, just in your pocket. And it's such an iconic, so well-known, in the, yeah. in, in, you know, especially for comics, man. Like, yeah. That's, well, the that's, yeah. that's where I started doing stand-up is just seeing all my idols, um, anybody from Saturday Night Live who'd come through. When I started doing open mics and started doing, my first MC weekend was for Finesse Mitchell who was on SNL and it was uh, an urban crowd too. And like, I guess, I mean, I was naive. I had seen enough of the shows and the audiences and the different comedians who came through, but I was like, Oh, SNL. Uh, can I open? Can I, can I MC that weekend? And the GM was like, are you sure ah. this will be a black crowd? Mm-hmm. You are very white. And this is, let's see, it's 2005. So this is 19 year old me so yeah. even wider less experienced oh, northern yeah. kentucky yeah. kid super you got a target right on your back man. going to college yeah. that was an incredibly uh red college so 2004 my first year of college i was expecting you know go to college and it's gonna be very liberal um outspoken and that was plastered everywhere bush 2004 yeah uh-huh. and then the the fun duality of that was then four years later in 20 uh 2008 i was gonna say 2008 I don't know anyone that says it like that. <laughs> um, it was all Obama. But so anyway, I was coming from a very red conservative area. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't even think about why an audience, why my sensibilities of doing comedy as an MC, which, I mean, you grow to learn, like, as the MC, no one's there to see you. No one's um, there to listen to you. Yes. <laughs> you're just, you're teaching the audience, uh-huh. like what the rest of the night the functionality of the rest of the night is like yeah you're gonna look up for here it's like you ease them in like for 10 to 15 minutes you're like you're gonna look up here you're gonna listen to what we say there's a cadence at the end of what we say is sometimes the place where you're supposed to laugh and blah 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 you're gonna have to start ignoring the servers and the clanking of things and then when the next person comes up that's the sweet spot that's the person you're gonna like yeah uh, I learned that the, a very hard way in New York City opening for Jesse Mae Peluso and uh, Carly Aquilino on the girl tour mm. because we did two shows that night and I opened the show not, not, not knowing, not even thinking about they have fans who are of a certain age and of a certain demographic mm-hmm. And a 41-year-old white dude, <laughs> they have no interest in. You know, yeah. So I'm opening the show. I'm just like, so this thing with my daughter. And they're like, we don't have kids. I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. But then the next show, I came out, and it was an hour and a half later, and it was a whole new crowd. And I opened up. I'm like, what's up with you girls dating all these dum-dums? Yeah. Why are we dating? It? I was like, ah, there we go. Now we're now we're all or if like, or if it's like, okay, now I'm going to talk about my daughter. Now I'm going to talk my daughter through the lens of knowing what I was like as a guy dating. Yeah. And here are my fears about what my daughter might do. Yeah. Or blah blah blah. One of the best things I ever got advice wise about that was, um, and you're a dad, so hopefully yeah. I pass this down to you as well because yeah. I may, maybe you've already heard this, but somebody one time one time told me when you get in front of a young crowd. And you are going to do material that is geared towards somebody who's more middle age. Always just put it out there like, you guys ain't there yet, but you are. And when you get there, one day your daughter is yeah. going to 
insert joke. And now they're going, oh, yeah, I'm in that driver's seat of where that guy is. Yeah. You're putting them in that scenario, and they sort of see themselves instead of just being like, well, here's my thing, and now listen to it, and now, you know what I mean? You're yeah, like, yeah. Not forcing it Don't on preach. Anymore. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the, um, I, I can't remember what podcast I was listening to. They are talking about the different kinds of stand-ups, and preacher is one of, like, the archetypes. Yeah. It's like, are you a preaching comedian? And I think there's another one that's... Um, are you going up on stage and trying to show the audience how funny you are or are you going up there to entertain? Yeah. And I think is, I don't know if it's as a comedian or just a fan of comedy. I can always flag someone who's on stage. Who's just trying to show you how funny they are. And I'm like, no, no, just, just entertain me. That's yeah. We're here. Yeah. I one time was told, uh, Hey man, don't try to be funny. Just try to have fun. Yeah. And that will, good- th- yeah. And that will translate. And it was, you know, I think I still get into that moment sometimes too, when I'm, I'm tell I, I'm just getting chuckles. Yeah, and then you just kind of start forcing it, and you're like, Dah! but then you once you relax, once you relax a little bit, yeah. and your cadence sort of slows down, and your heart rate sort of like mm, drops a little bit, then they get on board with you, and then you're like, ah, oh, okay, now, yeah. yeah. Does it make a big difference, like when when you filmed that dry bar? Is there a huge difference um, going into that as compared to just like a regular show on a Saturday night? The only thing would be being in my head of like, they don't give you a hard and fast and they don't review review your material 100% before you do it. Um, so they send you a video that says, here's some do's and don'ts of okay. material and some stuff that you maybe shouldn't talk about. Oh, wow. But That's interesting. I luckily had some people... What are some of those things, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I think uh, sex, religion, mm-hmm. just general things. Kind of the, the things of like, they're like, you shouldn't talk about at a family dinner. You know, like the sex, religion, sure, and yep, politics. Yep, yep. Because you might isolate your audience. Like, we're not saying you can't, but just make sure blah, 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 blah. And so I'm as someone who had then heard that there was a comedian who closed out his set with a euphemism joke, and they shelved his set. Oh. So that's the thing with Dry Bar 2 is you have zero idea when they're going to yeah. release it or if they're going to release it. Yeah. So you're living in limbo. And I didn't want to ever do anything like that or ever do anything where I'm promoting and be like, hey, everybody, I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to be doing this. I'm so excited. And then like, everyone's like, when is it going to come out? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. And then if it never comes out, you look like a schlub. Oh, like, yeah, man. I know. Oh, that's so I got cut from a movie with uh, Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> I should have never told anybody, man. What uh, movie was it? It was called Under the Stadium Lights. Don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Now, so, I, now I don't need to watch it because you're not in it. Well, here's what happened. That movie came out and it bombed terribly. Yeah. And it made absolutely zero dollars. And uh, that was like the one thing about it, like getting cut. Yeah. Was I was like, okay, now I never have to be associated with this. Yep. Although when you go to my IMDb, uh, my IMDb page, there I am right next to Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. <laughs> but I was just, you never know. Me and Larry. Yeah. yeah, me just old me and Larry Bear. But you uh, know? I had some people who had done Dry Bar, and so luckily they reviewed my material and gave me some pointers. But weirdly, uh, as a comedian, I think you, you're someone who tells stories, and that's a great way to have unique material, right? So you're not going to fall into that pitfall of being like, well, there's someone who's got a joke like that, yeah, like um, your Chewbacca mom story. Yeah, thank you, yeah. No one's going to have that unique Chewbacca mom story. Mm-hmm. So even an audience member or fellow comedians aren't going to be like, mm, that guy's a little hacky. I feel like I've heard that or yeah. someone tells a variation of it. I had a story which is about um, growing up. We went multiple times to the Burt Reynolds Museum and Ranch as a family vacation. Oh, my Oh, I, I can just picture it now. Yeah, oh, from Kentucky in a, yes. G, a purple Geo Metro. Um, 
But the last time we went, they were closed because it had gotten foreclosed and Burt Reynolds went bankrupt and had to sell it. We didn't know. So we didn't know until we pulled up. That's the. I didn't even think about that. He was still alive when this thing was probably open, right? One hundred percent. How weird! Yeah. How weird! But he owned it. It was his ranch. Like that's where he lived. What? Yeah, and it was a museum. I mean, ego on the man, but yeah. I have to go now. This is years ago, and then they opened a smaller one, and that doesn't even exist anymore. But anyway, so the story is, uh, in front of the, the doors, he had gold medal plaque faces that were caricatures on the, the doors, and the sign that said, we regret to inform you, Burt Reynolds Museum and Ranch is closed permanently. Uh, m- there's more to the story, but long story short, my dad had me and my brother cover him from whoever might pull up or whatever and my mom in the car took out his money clip and jimmied off one of the gold caricature faces no way and there i the story goes along with me talking about me having my daughter Mm -hmm. and i'm a junior to my dad who is here at the show tonight um but anyway this is a very unique story it's like five minutes great little chunky story no one else is gonna be telling that story and I did it both because you do two shows for mm-hmm. Dry Bar. And after the first one, they're like, be comfortable. Do whatever you want in the second show. Like, we got the first show and you guys did great. I don't know if they say that to everybody. <laughs> but so um, I did that story again, though, because it worked well in the first one. Again, the uniqueness. And then when they eventually send me my proof edit, they're like, watch it. Let us. I mean, I wasn't going to be like. Cut yeah. this or yeah, change right. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, but yeah, here thanks. at the two minute seventeen yeah. mark, could you use the th- the the wide angle? Yeah. I feel like, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Can you not cut to that audience member? <laughs> um, it looks beautiful, and yeah. they have this huge production team. Um, but so I watched it, and it wasn't in there. They had cut it, uh-huh. and I was like, "That's interesting. That's a real, real specific story." I don't know why they cut it, and then I told my brother, and he's like, "I bet you because it's about stealing." Absolutely. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you think? He's like, yeah. And then I told my mom, I was like, and then they cut it. And she's like, I bet you it was about stealing. I was like, it must, like, not in my wildest imagination. No. Would I have thought? Have, have ever thought that? No, of course not. Because to yeah. you, this is the thing that an adult did, a, a parent. Right. And you're like, yeah, sometimes, you know, we did bad dad did kind of crazy stuff every once in a while. You well, know and what? like the whole, the whole specifics of it being like, it's a place that's closed down. It's a place that's foreclosed. Like, yeah. so he defaced something that was like, not in operation. Yeah, what, who hasn't taken a you know a book of matches from a casino that they you know hey this is worth the Bellagio you yeah know, ah, you probably shouldn't but why not you yeah, know yeah, what yeah. I mean like yeah yeah no it's but, crazy so the, I mean but the dry bar experience was phenomenal um, unfortunately it dropped as well as my first album uh, right in the middle of the beginning of COVID um, so I couldn't capitalize on any of it yeah um, but I, I I like how it turned out it's it's always interesting different people online coming across clips uh, i love looking through comments i know it's a terrible thing to do i love looking at the bad comments yeah and like the peanut gallery it's, of comedians and stuff and, yep but yeah yeah it's it's tough when you have to go and read some of that and you're like oh i have such a great comeback but is it worth my time to oh, yeah, no because yeah. for what for, and then you're just going to get in an argument with somebody and then eventually it's going to come out and I've noticed every time I've had that happen to me, that's why I got off of Twitter. Oh, sure. Because I got into a huge fight with a local sports commentator, and then that was it. I'm like, I I felt so rotten on the inside. Yeah. And I didn't feel like he beat me. You know, you're never going to win it. It's not a debate. It's It's not judged. Yeah, it's not. But that's it. At the end of it, I was like, I hope he feels as gross as I do right now. And I just just stopped. I just quit. I I mean, it's still up. 
I oh, left so it there. It's still out there. I, yeah. It's still out there. I'm like, I just, but I don't go on Twitter anymore. I don't fight with people about it anymore. What's so, that's what's crazy is, um, uh, like NBC, the show Bring the Funny that they did three years ago, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, when you auditioned, they scrubbed your social media. And if you got to a certain stage, they brought up, they're like, hey, go delete this from your Twitter. No way. Go delete this. And it was ridiculous things. Yeah. Again, kind of like me being naive of not thinking, why oh, would you cut the Burt Reynolds story from Dry Bar special? Yeah. It's them wanting, I, I don't know, when it comes to comedians, even when you're going to be on TV, do people think comedians are these more morally superior people? I would think most people consider comedians being a little yeah, either I, crass or like when it comes to humor, there's jokes comedians can tell each other that you would never tell an audience. Oh, yeah. I mean, just all you got to do is go into like one Minnesota fish house for the weekend. And be like <laughs> everything that comes out of our mouths, we would never be able to work ever again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a different. It is weird, though, that that I think comedians hold each other to that standard. But the general public does not. I think the general public now, nowadays, compared to like, you know, say the 70s, mid 70s. Yeah. We looked at comedians for the weird angles of life. Yeah. And now we don't anymore. We look at that. We look at them as the general public looks at us going, you guys need to get on board with us instead Mm. of of them because everybody's got an opinion. So instead of being counterculture. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I think people want, they feel it is their right to put us in our place now. Interesting. Instead of going, oh, that that guy's got a crazy angle on life. I never thought of it that way. They don't look at it anymore. They go, dude, what I have to say matters. And you, even though you are the guy with the microphone on stage right now, your opinion is not better than mine. Well, like doing a lot of breweries, wine, like breweries and wineries have become the modern day coffee houses. So they will put up um, a comedian. They will put up a person on the guitar. Oh, yeah. I, I really like playing them. You get they're out in the middle of nowhere. The joke always is when we're driving to one, if you hit a cornfield, they're like, oh, we're close to the. Yeah. Close to the <laughs> Those people, they're usually sectioned off from a larger city. So when they come on the Friday and Saturday night to the shows. That's their weekend. Like, that is their big thing to do. And kind of going with the Clean Comedy Club audience expectations, they are way more excited that this person who they don't know, they don't know any credits, they still don't know you. Like, tonight, no, there's not going to be anyone in the audience who's like, I came here because I saw you or I heard you on this. Mm-hmm. They're going to be like, I came here because it's Saturday. and Absolutely, yeah. That's why I don't like when a comedian will butcher your name oh, and then yeah. apologize for it. Does anyone else find it weird that we compare smooth faces to babies' asses? Am I the only one? I can't be, right? I mean, it's not baby foreskin. It's not weird, for God's sakes. But a baby's ass is smooth, and so is your face if you use Dollar Shave Club. I've been using Dollar Shave Club since the beginning. I got one of the pins to prove it. One of the first hundred people to ever join Dollar Shave Club. Join now and choose which level is right for you. Some guys need four blades a month because they're manly men with grizzly beards that need clean shaves. I go every other month. I work from home. Nobody sees me. But when they do, I want to make sure I'm looking good. All you got to do is hop on to dollarshaveclub.com, put in your order, and then boom, right in your mailbox comes a clean shave. And don't forget, Valentine's Day right around the corner makes a great gift. What better way to say I love you than, God damn it, I don't like kissing you when you got a five o'clock shadow. Shave that shit off with Dollar Shave Club. Steve and I were talking about this last night. The difference between a Friday night audience and a Saturday night audience. If you have an early show, if you two shows, early show Friday, people rush from work and 
they maybe rush in a, a dinner or something. Yeah. And they're kind of tired from the work week and they don't always laugh or express how much they're enjoying the show. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be a quieter audience. And then after the show, if you have like a merch thing or meet and greet, they'd be like, oh my gosh, I love the show so much. I loved him. It was so funny. And like in your head as a comedian, you want to be like, you know, the best way to show that in a show is to laugh. To laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Emit a noise. But then second show on a Friday night, they've had time to go to dinner. They've had time to have some drinks. They're a little tired. So now they're a little loopy. And second show Friday, they're a little rowdy. Yeah. Obviously not at Gutty's. But um, Saturday, I feel like people have had time to sleep. They've had a nice morning. They've had a nice relaxing morning. They maybe got to have a dinner, have a nice couple drinks. And I feel like Saturday first shows are always the best shows. Always. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was talking about this. I think it was Steve. Uh, it might have been Steve. Somebody from here. We were chatting about it. Is that uh, when, I, when you go to a show and you don't get laughs, but then you get off stage and people are like, you're so good. I loved it. And you're like, well, what was the laughter then? Yeah. But you realize they're smiling and enjoying it. And, and he and was he was not. He, yeah, you're right. There was, was yeah, there was smiling. a few people you could tell. Yeah, He's, it was literally arms crossed, and he was just like, hmm. like perplexed. Yeah, like what are these people what doing with this? their lives? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how do you make money at this? Yeah, how do you guys even stand upright? How would you get here? Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can tell that there's some people have that. I don't know. I, I, I sometimes though I watch a comic and they'll bomb. Yeah, and I will be up there going, dude, that that's great. Um, in their mind, they're like, oh, I suck so bad. This yeah, was yeah. so terrible. But really, I don't know. I, you're probably, we're all our own worst critic all are, the time. Are you your know? favorite, uh, what I always find interesting, especially doing the different clean shows and whatnot, is getting compared to other comedians. And I always find it's never comedians that are my favorites. And I'm not saying I dislike them. What is your favorite? Oh. Like, do your favorite comedians that you gravitate towards that you really admire and respect? Do you feel like you emulate their voices or do you feel like they're a different flavor than what you bring oh, entertainment wise? That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I feel I'm like, interviewing you yes, now. Yes, yeah. Oh, look, yeah, also, I will ramble. I will chase rabbits. Cut me off. <laughs> I love it, man. I'm a I guess love- that you never have to like ring. When you when you grow up with like family members that don't say anything, yeah. and then you have to go to Thanksgiving, and you're always the one with the heavy lifting. When somebody finally brings a girlfriend around that can actually talk, you're just like, yeah. thank God somebody's <laughs> here to take the weight off my you're shoulders. Like, Leave, get out of here. Yeah, you are right. Please, after we're all done talking, grab your stuff and don't ever come mm-hmm. back. Um, no, I feel like uh, I mostly gravitate towards comics that. I know I will never be able to do what they do. Yeah. Doug Stano is one of them. Probably my favorite of all time just because of his takes on the world and his personal views. I love that guy. I will never be able to get up on stage and to be able to give a opinion the way he does. He also, yeah. I think he represents a man out of time of the way you were talking about that counterculture comedian Absolutely. who's who's going to not necessarily be like well you know i should i mean he's also been around for quite a bit and his day in no offense his day in the sun of like is setting a little bit um but he is never i think going on stage being like what's the most pc way to present this to like for if he's not a marketing comedian yeah like, how many boxes am i gonna check with this but it's like you're either with me or you're not and like but now he's able to curate that crowd that's going to be. Yeah, and that's tough, Like especially when you're first starting out. You're basically just going, what does the audience want? And yeah. you're, you're, you're sort of gearing your material towards what you think While also want. juggling that finding your comics voice. Absolutely. Which I think yeah. most comedians, like you were saying comics, would be like, I bombed, I was terrible. And you're like, no, that was, that was great. Or you heard it way differently than I did. Yeah. Um, 
I think comedians feel that they are always searching for their voice like the never ending goal. Uh, Mark Norman had one time said, uh, how you know what your voice is, is the jokes that get the biggest laughs when you don't know what your voice is. Okay. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to mull that over and think about that when I I watch a clip or something. When you don't know what it is yet, the jokes that get the biggest laughs, that's your voice. I think that's, I, I, I have zero idea. Like I'm, that's my biggest struggle is because being a writer, um, there are often times a great example and I wrote this joke for someone else and I took it back um, I didn't write it and was paid for it and then like I'm going to take it back mm-hmm. is the Christian Drivers uh, oh, I wrote yeah, that yeah, years you did that joke ago last night. Yeah. I, did, yeah, I started yeah. doing it and I asked the comic who was a local who him and I were on a road trip and I, I did it during conversation he's like that's hilarious he's like can I do that and I was like yeah and then he did it because I was like I the what I was curating as part of my act I, I couldn't find a place for it until then i ended up developing some more other religious observations mm-hmm. that i felt like it could work in in a way to do it um because if you talk about religion a lot of places you'll alienate and you have to also it's one of those things it's like you have to do it 30 minutes or 25 minutes into your set after you've established a relationship where they they maybe like you and so if you say something that makes them go oh i don't know it's a touchy subject maybe you won't lose them completely absolutely um the dumb science of stand-up mm-hmm. you know the 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 pitfall of being like you come up with a new joke on the way to the club and you're like i want to open with it and you're like no whatever you do you're like because if i don't open with it i'll forget it like fight the urge sandwich it in between something that works yeah yeah and if you don't remember if you don't remember it then you should you maybe don't have the confidence to do it yet or yeah yeah uh, I, even like open mic still man yeah. i always open with my strongest joke and i always close or excuse me re- uh, reverse that i open with my second strongest joke and i close with my first strongest joke and everything else in between is going to be whatever brand and there's new. and there's a uh, uh, there's a methodology of you said it, but you said you didn't inc- said it incorrectly. Is to do the other thing is open with your the strongest, strongest joke that joke. you think you couldn't possibly have anything better to close on, and then it'll force yourself to develop something uh, that is that is better. Ah, uh, wax on, but, wax off. Well, no, that is very. My, I, I didn't think all, about that. All the like, and you can like Seinfeld, you can dislike Seinfeld, whatever. The the Asperger student of the of the science of stand-up that he is uh-huh. and like that's whenever anyone asks like what's your um, biggest piece of advice i think you should rehearse i think you i come from a theater background though so like rehearsing my set like it's a monologue or whatever and then blocking and like physical gestures and stuff and whatnot people are always so worried right now about videotaping and i'm like yeah that's fine because i know people are like i gotta videotape everything because what if it's the best five minutes set ever and i'm gonna send it to late night with seth meyers um i think you should audio record all your sets before worrying about videotaping them because the cadence of how you say it because sometimes jokes when you're on stage you're like why didn't they laugh at that i thought that was funnier i thought they should have gotten more than it did i am not a comedian that's like f the audience like i'm amazing that joke was great they're just stupid or Mm -hmm. whatever i'm like i'm sure there was something that I did that I did not convey that the best way. And to go back and listen to that and be like, oh, yeah, I ate a dick while I was talking about that when I was saying that. Yeah. Like, they couldn't hear what I was saying or I was talking too fast. Yeah, I, I do that a lot, too, where I'm like, I got the perfect cadence for this now and I have all the right words. And yeah. then I'll do it one night and it crushes. And then I'll go back the next night and then 
midway through the joke be like, wait a minute, do I put the pause there? Wait, oh, uh, 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 now, now I screwed it up and now you get no laughs. I can't <laughs> remember what I was saying about the, the Christian drivers thing, but like I decided I don't have, I'm not a political, oh, you're about counterculture and the comedian with point of view. Um, I'm not political and I don't, I think there are comedians that I love that do that, that do it way better than I could ever do. So that's why I'm like, yeah, let them do that. Yeah. And also just the shelf life of those jokes. It's like going back and watching Dennis Miller's Weekend Update. Sure. Yeah. Like, I don't get any of these references. Yeah, right. Yeah. I just listened to somebody recently. I think it was uh, Henry Phillips. Henry mm-hmm. Phillips, guitar comic Henry Phillips. And he does a joke. And in it, I think he makes a comment about like Casey Anthony or something. And I'm like, we will never, you, those words will never be uttered from another person's lips on stage ever again because nobody cares. Still but, doing a Sean Connery impression. Like, I, as I know, they're, and like you worked with Dana Carvey, master of impressions. And so I always say, like, people are like, you're really good at impressions. Like, no, I've watched a lot of good impressionists do impressions over the air and have picked up on Sean Connery's dead now. Like, his relevancy, like. So gone. Yeah. But like, what, when is the point? Like, God, I hope I'm not doing. Sean Connery 10 years from now or five years from now or whatever. But like, when is it going to be that night where I, I, if I do it and they're just like, don't get it anymore. Well, yeah. luckily like there's still, we're still at an age now where like most of us remember a lot of that stuff. We yeah. still remember Sean Connery, but yeah, like this next generation of kids do. I did a Nintendo joke one time. Yeah. Nintendo got crickets. I was like, you guys don't know Nintendo? And, this kid, <laughs> and you and, get angry. Yeah, and and this, this kid like, like, don't be angry at us for your no relevancy, yeah, he old goes, man. He goes, my first game was an Xbox. I'm like, God, you kids. I uh, did God. a college show three years ago, and I had this bit that was my way of working in new material called Napkin Thoughts, where they would start off as one, um, one-liners pretty much, or just gestations of, of, of bits. And uh, if they did well, I would then try to throw them into a bit or coagulate them okay. together. Um, one joke was, uh, uh, I, I wish I was an outlaw. If I was an outlaw from the old Wild West days, I would want my name to be Juan Ted. I would want my I would want to be a Mexican outlaw named Juan Ted. So then the wanted posters around town would say, "Wanted, wanted, dead or alive." <laughs> yeah, well, that's a lot of the napkin thought jokes were that. And I did it and not there's times where you do a joke and the audience is just like, we don't think that's that funny. Or there's just like, huh, yeah, polite chuckle. Like, yeah, right. Go- the golf clap of. Huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but their faces to a college college kids, I could tell they had no idea what I was referencing yeah. and what I was talking about. Yeah. And it's crazy. Like, uh, I got a joke about, uh, you know. When we were kids, we used to make fun of people with mullets that still listen to Bon Jovi. And now I'm 41 with a mullet and I still listen to Limp Biscuit. And I can tell, <laughs> I did that joke one night and I could tell that there was like three people that were like, who? Both those bands? I was like, really? Yeah. I'm like, we're to that, that point though, man. Like, yeah. And it's all, it's all cyclical. It and all comes around. And because I'm 36 and you're 41. But when I was just telling you the idea of the roller rink bit and we had just met each other last night yeah. about them playing R&B songs. I knew you, exactly. Yes, you, the the song you pulled was the song that I first referenced. Yeah, it's it's ubiquitous with us. That type yeah. of stuff. Yeah, but man. like with that, so I think there's the difference of relying on the reference for a joke working versus what the context of the reference is. So that the joke is that this uh, for me, and I'm not patting myself on the back for the jokes. I'm just 
deconstructing it because that's what I think is the most interesting about what we do. And I'm not always very, always super self aware of it. Um, but as stand ups, like that's why I love talking to other stand ups. It's like, okay, how do you view your stuff and mm-hmm. break it down? And why do you do what you do? There's some guys just, like, just go up there and I'm just hilarious, bruh. And yeah, it's like, mm. okay. Um, but so breaking that down versus uh, a Nintendo joke or the John, uh, the Bon Jovi bit is when you when I go into Casey and Jojo all my life and I say I can never find another lover more sweeter than you more sweeter than all my life I pray for someone like you the joke is about how the expectations of falling in love and how intense it is in those songs and that we idolize them and we're like yes I want to have a love like that I'm 12 <laughs> like so the joke doing those lyrics the audience could not know that song, but I just told them what the lyrics of the song were. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it, that should still work for a while because they don't need to know the actual song. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you're sort of bringing them into that world. Let yeah. them, letting them know why this is funny. I'm having them hear it yeah. and they're going, oh, that's an intense song. And then I say, that's an intense song for a 12. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking that too. Yeah, yeah. And right. maybe they don't know that music, but they... If they're young, so say if I did that sh- joke to a college crowd, I don't know how it would work because I haven't done that yet to a, a group of that, that age. They have their own music that is like that. Yeah. That they hold so close and so tight to. Yeah. Because when you're that age, that's why, and I don't know if kids do it, and I'm sure they make Spotify lists, like mixtapes for the girl that you like or oh, a mix yeah. CD. Oh, okay. Casey and Jojo was on that mix CD. Yeah. Now that's what I call music volume one was basically that whole that mixtape yeah, that I made right. for that girl. But yeah. yeah. Hell, man, Janet Jackson's uh, first like, oh, dude. It's the first track. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah, man. It's amazing. Yeah, what time? Oh, yeah. It was so good. I know my daughter this morning, she was... Uh, uh, she was in the shower listening to music, and I was thinking about it because there's a song that comes on that sounds like a song that I used to listen to when I was younger. That. I know, right? You're like, oh yeah, this is Dennis <laughs> Jam. Yeah, right. And uh, the song was, um, what is the song called? Uh, Olivia Rodrigo. I'm going to sound like old man yelling at Cloud right now, <laughs> but it's uh, Olivia Rodrigo. Um, I can't remember, but the song sounds like Paramore. Yeah. Which, which, you know, I not that long ago. Yeah, not that long ago. The song sounds a lot like it. And when I heard that song for the first time, I'm like, that sounds like this Paramore song. And I put the two together, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure like this Olivia Rodrigo gal ripped off this song. And as I was listening to it today, my daughter, while she's listening to music, I'm going, oh. All of these songs that she's listening to mm-hmm. will all be the songs that one day when she's 41, her, you know, her friends are going to call mm-hmm. and be like, Olivia Rodrigo is going to be playing the Target Center. They're like, oh my God, we have to buy tickets. Dude, my sister, I, I did some work for Joey McIntyre of New Kids on the Block. Yeah. And he called me on Thanksgiving. And while I was on the phone with him, I was in my sister's basement. And I'm like, hey, Joe, it's Thanksgiving. Would you mind like getting on the phone with my sister real yeah, quick? Yeah. And we went upstairs. And he was on speaker. And I'm like, hey, Jen, somebody wants to talk to you. And my sister's like, well, who is this? And then he goes, hey, Jen, it's Joey McIntyre from New Kids on the Block. And she was like, what? Tears. <laughs> she was like turning red and sweating. She's like fanning yeah. herself. And that is, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's all going to happen. We, I'm doing it right now when the Foo Fighters come to town. Yeah. And when bands come that I loved when I was growing up you know they got i mean they got this thing in vegas right now called when we were young and it is 
every band that I grew up listening to, you know? And it's like, I, I would definitely pay to go like out there and see it. Warped, if they did an oldies Warp Tour reunion. Yeah, you take basically all the bands that were from like Warp Tour and OzFest yeah. 1998, and they threw them all on one bill, and I'm like, that changed my life. And I read a stat somewhere that was uh, the music that you listen to between the ages of like 13 and 17 mm-hmm. that will be your musical growth for the rest Pretty of your sure. life yep. and that's what you will listen to so when we used to make fun of those guys listening to bon jovi being like i'll never be that guy yeah it makes sense why three dollar bill y'all from limbiscuit and i grew, and I grew up listening uh, my favorite group is the monkeys like, so I grew up listening to oldies. So my evolution of music happened when I started picking up my own stuff. Grew from the 60s and onward. So I remember my having my first apartment, going to the record store and talking to the one of the workers about my sensibilities and taste in music. And they're like, well, okay. And being like, I love the monkeys. I love Blink-182. And they're like, have you ever heard of Elvis Costello? So they're like, if your hand's here and your hand's here, what's in the middle? And I was like, I know him because I'm a huge SNL fan. Um, and he's infamous for his first appearance on SNL and sure. then got banned for a while. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm familiar, but I don't, I couldn't name a song. And he's like, here's his first album. Um, he's like, buy it. And if you don't like it, return it. And then I was hooked. I was just buying everything Elvis Costello. And so like my evolution was not the stuff that was current, like Every now and then, like the Gautier album from uh, where it's somebody uh, that I used to know, yeah, yeah. So, like, that's a great song. That album was one of the first new albums in a long time that I bought because I heard other tracks off of it, and he sounds like a lot of other genres. One of them being like early 60s Motown mm-hmm. on a couple songs from it, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I love this. And like, I, I, yeah, I felt like an old man, like buying a new album, and I rarely. I, get, I always used to get so jaded because we grew up with Napster and Kaza of being like, don't put an, out an album with one good song and make me spend $20, $15, like when I can rip it from wherever and make a compilation. Yeah, man. And so that's why I didn't buy new albums for a long time. That is what you, you just explained what Sugar Ray was. Mm-hmm. Sugar Ray. Sugar Ray. Because I remember listening to Sugar Ray when Lemonade and Brownies came out. And that was 1994, I think. They were all punk rock. Yeah. It's like it, so, SoCal punk rock. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. It, for, As what punk rock could be at that time, you know? That was when it was really starting to change, and dudes with faux hawks were kind of still. Well, it was the same. Of, Goo Goo Dolls were on the same trajectory. Absolutely. They're yeah. on the Freddy's Dead soundtrack, yep. which is amazing, and that's where they sound a little bit more folksy punk, pop punk. Yep. That's why I actually got friends of mine that are on that. On Freddy's on Dead? On Freddy's Dead. Who, yeah, what is it? Because yeah. that's a phenomenal album. Yeah. I, yeah the, the Blank Theory? I think that was on what, that. What's the song? What's the, the song, song is called... Middle of nowhere? Oh, I'd have to look it up. It's, I mean, okay. it's been like I, twenty years. I, I, I love uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, Nightmare on Elm Street is my favorite uh, horror franchise, but the Nightmare on Elm Street Four soundtrack and Freddy's Dead soundtrack, oh, bangers. I yeah. listen to them all the yeah. time. You know, if you go back, I was talking about this with somebody the other night who's a big horror guy. I'm not a huge horror guy. I like the uh, broad strokes. Yeah. You know, I like the you know the first Nightmare on Elm Street, the first Friday the Thirteenth. I like all the first, but then. If you watch those first two Freddy movies, mm-hmm. they are like terrifying. And then they yeah. get into like, you know, they get into that part where they're like, um, Daddy's home. And you're oh, like, oh, yeah, yeah, what yeah. happened to you guys? Yeah, we're just like, cracking wise. Yeah, I was yeah. like, well, just do the thing. Just be the guy. Be super scary. I don't need to just be like, let's clean out your ears. Ah, you know? But like, it's, yeah, it's like when he was coming out, they were marketing. Again, it's that all 
circular comes back to the broad strokes of marketing of they were selling pajamas for kids they were selling pool string talking freddy dolls for kids no way there was 1-800 numbers and like so i was born in 85 uh-huh so and uh, first um shit came out in 84 so i i saw movies at way too young of an age um but so i wasn't really the right age for when it was hitting its boom i got to look back at it more in retrospect but like seeing all that stuff that's i mean that's why he got more wisecracker more you know i skills comedian. Yeah. yeah i suppose they kind of wanted to start making a few bucks and, a video yeah, game absolutely. oh they found they could yeah yeah Ah, yeah. I guess I didn't even think about that, man. Ugh, now you ruined Freddy for me. Damn it. <laughs> uh, well, that's all right. Well, you know what, dude? We actually got to hit the stage here in like 15. So what we should probably. It? It's 7.15. So, but for 45 minutes, I mean, yeah. I feel like, I feel like when it comes to, when it comes to comics and especially the way that we roll in and out of meeting people, like when I met you last night, I'm like, that's a good dude. That's a totally a good dude. And, I, when I watched you last night and even just talking to you now, I'm like, that's a super honest dude. That's the one thing that I think sometimes Interesting. that we get mixed up in this business yeah. about like trying to be funny is we sometimes miss out on the honesty. I think I'm sometimes too brutally, not on stage. Yeah. Like I think I'm too brutally honest because I believe people, I don't like glad handing people of not necessarily like there's a lot of, I've said like an, uh, a lot on this podcast, I've realized. We can like uh, edit out like uh, yeah. I sound like a valley girl. Um, and um, my brain's just, I think I'm on weird break because I had a nap and I said to my dad, I was like, this is great. I love taking a nap before a show, mm. but I got into a really deep sleep nap and I said, this is going to be great doing the podcast because it'll waken me up. I'm not going to waken up in my first 10 minutes yeah. of being on stage. That fog, you, you got to get through, yeah. This will do it. But So I don't like glad-hating people. So I don't do the – having a child, I'm sure it's similar as you. I also don't drink much. So I was never that after a well, show. Well, that's not hang. like me. No? Uh, <laughs> I drink a lot. <laughs> um, I, just, I, just, I just never was much of a drinker. Yeah. Like I, I am more of a – I'd love to get a dirty martini and like sip on it for like sure. a half an hour or yeah. whatever. I'm, that's not to say I never drank and never did shots because my body also at one point could handle it and drink a lot. Sure. And there was that weird like broy thing of of just showing off and being like, how much can you drink? And yeah. Like, it's not a cool thing. Mm. Um, but so with other comedians, everyone is so worried about the networking of like, I don't want to say a bad thing about someone else. And I said, yeah. But we should be able to give constructive criticism and be like honest with each other. Yeah. There are also those comedians like, you know what you should do in that joke? You should say this. And it's like, well, maybe you should say that because that sounds like your voice. And that's not really a, a helpful note for me. That's yeah. a completely different thing. But I feel like comedians should be able to like, I don't know. Yeah. Talk uh, honestly with a- each other. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and one of the things about when you talk about like being a writer, one of the first things that when I started doing more um, narrative writing, yeah. one of the first things that somebody had told me was, uh, don't forget, everybody in the scene cannot have your voice. Yeah. They need to have their own voice. So you need to write their voices as well as the main character who's probably an offshoot of you or some sort of, you yeah. know, whatever it is. You have to remember that everybody has, I used to do a joke about dating. Uh, um, I, I would have rules for people that I would date. And one of the rules is I wouldn't date anybody who gave out pencils on Halloween because <laughs> first off rule number one, 
pencils taste awful. They're the worst, <laughs> they're the worst Halloween candy. And then somebody had pointed out to me, they're like, that's a funny joke, just not for you. And I was, oh. like, I was like, yeah, you know what? I think you're right. That again goes back to like, oh, that's why I brought the Christian thing is I didn't feel like it fit my voice. And that went with political being like, I have thoughts and opinions and things and can write jokes, but I don't always know that they're going to fit my mouth the best. The best. Yeah. So that is one of them I sat on for a while. And then I was like, oh, I think it, I think it can now. But that's interesting that it doesn't work for you. Do you think it doesn't work for you because you just don't have that sandwich of other things around it that also fit that tone and that style. Yeah. If I had more jokes that silly, I mean, yes, right. It's a silly, it's a silly joke. And a lot of my jokes are sort of, you know, they're embedded in truths in my life yeah. and they're not as silly. Um, so yeah, I, I think I don't even know. I told somebody who kind of is in that. I'm like, you can feel free to have that joke, man. Cause I, yeah. I don't think I'll use it anymore. But yeah, if I had more sillier jokes that went down that route, I'd be like, Oh, that's, do you think that is do you think that is an honest version of you that that's like a dorky side of you of like you'll make jokes like that in conversations or with your friends and when your friends are like oh you're so funny it's never the stuff that makes like what you are as a comedian yeah like yeah. i have a friend that i think uh at the lunchroom was funnier than all of us which i think was the original stand-up comedy club yeah and I still think he is one of the funniest people I know. And he's not an entertainer. He's a nine to five guy. Absolutely. My cousin Tim's the funniest guy on the planet, has never grabbed a microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Blow everybody out of the water that I know that wants to do this professionally and has never once uttered a joke to anyone, you know? See, and my, my worry of like finding voices, I don't always feel honest on stage. I always feel like I'm performing sometimes or that I, that there is sometimes that, uh, there's a barrier that I don't necessarily connect with the audience as sure. much. And I don't know what that is or if that's my own hang up of a comedian will always think that they're never doing as well as they're doing or. Yeah. Yeah. It goes back. Yeah. It goes back to you get off stage going, Oh, that sucked. And that the audience, even though you didn't get a ton of laughs, so like, they, they, it's a lot of smiles. Yeah. And so, I felt great about last yeah, night. And like whenever people see like a light audience and they're like, Oh, this is going to suck. I'm like, it's gonna, if you're going to go up with that attitude, dude, we had, Two people here one night, and it was one of the best nights I've ever had in my yeah. life. They were so much fun. They were the best crowd I've ever had. I'd rather have two people laughing hysterically than 500 just staring at you, yeah. not knowing what you're doing. It oh, was great. It's even worse yeah, when oh. it's 500. Ugh, it's awful. Well, sweet, man. Uh, where can people find you online? Uh, Twitter, at Ricky Glore. Instagram, at Glore Ricky. TikTok, at Ricky Glore. I hate the social media game. Yeah. Twitter, I love for the word economy of writing jokes and making myself write so much um, that goes back to that Seinfeld thing of like oh I, and I didn't say it earlier biggest piece of advice when someone's like what's best piece of advice is write out your set and then go through with a, a marker or pen and start crossing out words that still the integrity of the sentence stays the same and gets across what you're saying yeah. but now it takes out those words and it gets it to it quicker that's what I love Twitter for. So if you're ever, if someone's going to follow me on Twitter, you'll see about shows. You'll also see the creation of bits and jokes yeah. via Twitter. Yeah. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Like the first album I recorded, a woman after the show asked the comedy club for their, her money back. And they're like, did you not enjoy it? And she's like, I had seen all that stuff on YouTube clips. I watched all those YouTube clips and I saw all the stuff that he did. And what? so, so weird. I know they it's so were weird. like, 
It, I, you know, I've also watched the Foo Fighters numerous times and play all we, of their. Yes, we're going to go down. We should definitely do. Do you ever do remote podcasts? Absolutely. Happily, happily do another one. Yeah. The difference between standups um, and having to be fresh, and like the mentality of a lot of standups now, like you have to release a Netflix special or a special every year, and then completely wipe all that away and then yeah. start fresh again. That's bonkers that mentality of yeah. like I've heard that. That's that honesty thing. Yeah. And it's weird with a band when they say they love the city that they're in, that they don't really like, they don't know where they're at. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, I, that's awesome. I think we'll tease the next one for sure because I got story. I'll leave, I'll I'll leave you with this story real quick. Um, I went to a rush show one night and I was with my uncle and Rush had a brand new album. It was called Snakes and Arrows. They played three songs off it. The first three songs out the gate. And after the third song, the pe- people were like, yeah. And then after the third song, they're like, okay, this is getting weird. Is this weird. what this yeah. is going to be? So all night. And at some point, like, the song ends and the crowd is super quiet. And some dude, like, four rows behind us yelled, play some Rush. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, ex- it's the, that's the exact opposite yes. of stand-up. And if you say something on a stage that they have heard... I mean, luckily, this doesn't happen to me because, again, as we said earlier, no one knows who I am. Um, they feel like most people think stand-up is improvised. Yeah. And it's it's, it's not. not. It's Even not. the best of, like, Harlan Williams and um, oh, Ian Bag and Robin Williams, who always made it feel like it was new and fresh and they're improvising. That's the great thing working at a comedy club when you see them a whole weekend. I did a feature weekend for Ian Bag uh, a couple years ago in Florida. And my wife saw the first one. He does a lot of crowd work. And she's like, oh, my gosh. Like, he's brilliant. Like, it's a new show every night. Like, how exciting. Because she knows and has heard my stuff over and yeah. over. She's the person I try it out on most of the time. Sure. And I was like, you got, you're got you coming with your parents to the Sunday show? And she's like, yeah. I was like, you'll see how the sausage is made. Ah. Like, and I'm not, that's not diminishing it. That's yes. just like. You're right. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Because when you do watch that guy, it looks and feels like he is just off the top of his head. I was head. Brilliant. Brilliant. Absolutely. You can. Yeah. You've done yeah. it so much. How, how could you make an album? How could you pay everybody to come and do a thing that you have no idea is going to work? Yep. You know, like you have to know it's going to work. <laughs> yeah. Before you pay all these people to put out a, a special, you have to know it's going to work. So even though it's crowd work, it's still been reworked and tried hundreds of times. I would know? love to go have someone like just use Ian Mag again. Go and have an audience member who loves him and sees him on a Friday and then goes back on the Sunday, not someone that's not my wife, um, who also does, who did theater and kind of understands it. Yeah. Um, have a fan and then just see how hurt they are and be like, I thought I was unique. Absolutely. I thought. Absolutely. Oh, right on. Oh, sweet. All right. Yep. We're getting the light. Well, cool. Dude, this was great. Thank you so much for Thank coming. You. I'm so glad we had a chance to do this. So, killer, man. We'll Break definitely legs. do this over Zoom again for yeah. sure. So, sweet, dude. Right on. <laughs> Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.